we're about five weeks away from Christmas, which some of you are like, oh my goodness, is it really that close? Yes, we're about that close. And that means it's getting close to time in the Bruce household for us to have the annual Bruce family tradition of watching Christmas movies. Now, we're gonna, we have several favorites that we watch, but every year, my kids make fun of me because when the end of It's a Wonderful Life comes, I begin to weep. When George Bailey is sprinting down Bedford Falls and yelling, Merry Christmas, you old building and loan, I, I just begin to cry. It's just an, a powerful scene. And as he bangs on the window of old Mr. Potter and just like, Merry Christmas. And I'm like, yeah, stick it to him. And it's, it's just a wonderful scene. Well, there's a second uh, movie that I really enjoy watching and it's Charles Dickens' uh, A Christmas Carol. Now, in my opinion, the, the Mickey Mouse version is the best. There's something about Scrooge McDuck and the, and the Scottish accent. It just, I'm like, man, that, that really hits home for me. But what I love about that movie is that you see a transformation of Scrooge McDuck who goes from this, uh, this, this crotchety old man who's, who's very stingy and tight-fisted and angry at the world to where he sees the impact he's having on people's lives and realizes he has to change. And at the end of the movie, you see this man who experiences, or this duck, who experiences this transformation, right? He's open-handed, he's benevolent, he's joy-filled, and he's generous. I'm not sure about you, but I love seeing a transformation like that. I love seeing someone go from being inward, angry, prideful, selfish, and stingy, being a, a taker, to becoming someone who's joy-filled, humbled, and generous. That picture of a transformation is something that we see happening in Luke chapter 19. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to uh, Luke uh, chapter 19. We're doing a brief uh, three-part sermon series on generosity called Open Handed. We're looking at how the gospel transforms us into being people who are full of generosity. Now, I love the gospel of Luke because Luke gives lots of details that Matthew, Mark, and John do not, okay? Luke is, is a physician. He's a doctor. He gives a lot of meticulous detail. The gospel of Luke is volume one. We see the book of Acts is volume two. It's a two volume set that that goes together. Now we as a church, we're going to return back to our study of the book of Acts in 2024. So be prepared for that. We are coming back to the book of Acts and pick up where Paul's headed on to his third missionary journey. But for the sake of our time here, looking at the book of Luke, we see in chapter 19 that Jesus is on his way. He is heading somewhere. He is passing through Jericho. Well, where is he passing to? He's headed towards Jerusalem. Jesus is in the home stretch of his earthly ministry. He had some suffering he had to endure, he had a cross to bear, and he had a grave to defeat. We see where the great Aslan has chose to lay his life down only to, lay, to take it up again. Well, while he's in Jericho, Jesus encounters a wealthy, greedy tax collector. And this divine appointment would not only change the life of Zacchaeus, but Jericho and the world forever. Look with me in Luke chapter 19. Begin with verse one, and the scripture says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. 
So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain, he's gone to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. As we're reading this text together, many of you are singing the childhood song about a wee little man. It's a great song. Well, for the sake of our time together, I want you to see in the text this clear picture of how God is a God who seeks and saves someone who is in desperate need of forgiveness. I want you to notice how Jesus changes Zacchaeus' life and how it pictures what Jesus has done in your life as well. I want you to see the first thing in the text is a desperate sinner seeking Jesus. We see a desperate sinner seeking Jesus. Excuse me. The text says, verse 1, Jesus was passing through Jericho. Now keep in mind, everything Jesus did was intentional. Jesus was never passive. He was not like a jellyfish being pushed by the water. Jesus, who is the sovereign over the cosmos, is the one who always walked with purpose and had a purpose for everything he did. He goes into Jericho and he has a divine appointment with the most hated man of the city. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Now that phrase chief tax collector does not show up anywhere else in scripture. This is a man who worked for the Roman government and was probably had achieved this position of chief by being more cunning and more crooked than all the other tax collectors. You see, the job of a tax collector was quite simple. Your job was to collect money from everyone as a tax that you must pay to Rome. Then anything above that, the tax collector got to keep for himself. This would mean at times, tax collectors would become loan sharks. They would charge people an exorbitant amount of interest if they could not pay the tax. Over time, I saw in my research that sometimes they would hire thugs to intimidate or cause physical harm to those who could not pay the money that they owed. Well, Zacchaeus was good at his job at cheating people out of their money. He was hated by the Jewish people because not only was he a financial shyster, but he also worked for Roman oppressors. Zacchaeus represented a government that wanted to take the people's money and persecute them. Moreover, Zacchaeus associated with Gentiles, which meant he was not welcome in the synagogue. He was a social outcast. He was hated by the people around him. But he heard of this man named Jesus. He's heard of this rabbi named Jesus. He's heard of miracles. He's heard of the teachings. He's heard of the impact that this man has had. So what does this wealthy, pompous man do? He climbs a tree. He's willing to do whatever it takes to get his eyes on Jesus. He wants to see Jesus, verse three. He wants to see Jesus, verse four. Here is a man in his Armani suit, and in his Air Jordans, climbing up in a tree, a very undignified position. Wealthy men don't climb trees. 
But he was so eager and desperate to see Jesus, he's making himself undignified. He's willing to do whatever it takes so that he might encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. My question to you is this, are you desperate for Jesus? Are you saying, Lord, I will do whatever it takes if I can just fix my eyes upon you. Lord, I will reorient my life. I will change whatever I can because Lord, I want you. I am desperate for you. Here's a man who was wealthy. He had all the money he could ever want, but he knew he was missing something. His heart was not satisfied. Money could not satisfy the deepest desires of his heart. He's desperate. My question is, are you desperate for Jesus? Will you cry out today, Psalm 16, verse two, you are my Lord, I have nothing good besides you. Oh, that deep within our hearts, we would realize how desperate we really are for Jesus. Because apart from Jesus, you and I are dead in our sins and trespasses. Apart from Jesus, you and I are headed for hell. Apart from Jesus, our life falls apart. You and I are only alive because of his grace. You are born again only because of the mercy of God in Jesus. My question is, are you desperate for him? Do you desire him more than anything? Here is a man who climbs a tree just so he could see Jesus. Are you desperate for Jesus? You see, what we see in Zacchaeus is a mirror of ourselves, that we are people who are sinful and broken and in desperate need of a savior. But here's the good news that we also see in the text. Number two, we see the gracious Savior seeking the lost. God is working on Zacchaeus' heart. God is wooing him. God is calling him to himself. Here is a desperate sinner seeking Jesus. But we know our Bibles that ultimately it's not Zacchaeus first who is seeking God. It's the other way around. Romans chapter three, verse 11 says, no one seeks God. You see, because of sin, you and I are dead in our sins and trespasses and dead people don't seek. Dead people can't pursue. Outside of Christ, we are hopeless and helpless, but God pursued you because he is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, God has pursued you in the gospel. That in Jesus, God has come to pursue and to come after those who are far from him. Have mercy, I'm ready for my new body. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you are in Christ, it's because God graciously pursued you in the gospel. That God came after you. That before you knew Christ, you had nothing to do with him. And in fact, we were enemies of him. But we see in Jesus, God crosses enemy lines. And he pursues us and he calls us, he woos us, and he brings us to himself. That's what God has done long before Zacchaeus was pursuing God. God was pursuing him. And may I say to you today, God is pursuing you right now. Well, Kenneth, how do you know that? It's because you're here. You're in a local church where the Bible is preached. You're hearing the word of Jesus brought to bear upon your life in which he is saying, come to me, trust in me, be desperate for me and I will satisfy your soul. You come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. 
Oh, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. If today you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that he loves you and he is pursuing you right now. And no matter what's in your past, no matter what you've done, there's no sin so great that he can't forgive. He is a faithful savior who will rescue anyone who turns from their sin and trusts in him by faith. That he is the Lord who gave his life for you at the cross. You are so loved by God that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. He gladly died out of great love for you. And his life was buried into a tomb and that's where his body stayed. But on the third day, he came back to life, rising again, offering eternal life to anybody who will repent and trust in him by faith. This is the gospel and he is a faithful savior and he's pursuing you. He is seeking you. He is inviting you to trust in him, just as he did here with Zacchaeus. Oh, that you would just say yes to him. You would surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to him desperate. But when you do, don't be surprised when there are people who will not be excited. Look at verse seven. The text says, all who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. Why would they complain over this? It's because in their minds, Zacchaeus is the worst. Here's a guy who has taken my money. He's wealthy. I'm poor. He's two-timing, covetous. He's a jerk who steals people's lunch money. That's who this guy is. And people are like, he is not worthy of you, Jesus. Westwood, may you and I always be careful to make sure that we're not the judges of who's worthy and who's not of Jesus. It's not our job to discern who qualifies for grace. Grace is available to all. Salvation is available to all. That anybody who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus by faith, you can be saved. But Kenneth, man, I've lived a messed up life and I've made all kinds of bad decisions. My thought life is messed up. My, my, I'm full of depression and anxiety and selfishness and pride. And I've, I've hurt all these people. You're a perfect candidate for grace. Jesus came for broken people. And if you will confess your brokenness, he's like, you qualify. The problem is that there's far too many who don't think they qualify. They cover up brokenness. They cover up sin and self and pride. They try to do it on their own and think, I'm good enough. No, 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 no. We are in desperate need of Jesus. And Zacchaeus realized this. But the crowd around him did not. You see, as a church, we're not a people who decide who's worthy of Jesus and who's not because ultimately nobody's worthy of Jesus. None of us deserves to be here. But oh, the grace of Jesus that he loves to welcome the broken. He loves to invite, the, the, invite those who realize, man, your life is messed up apart from me. And he's like, get in here. I will receive you. I will heal you. I will transform your life because that's who he is. He's a faithful savior whom you can trust with all of your heart. And don't think that, oh, I've got to be worthy before I can come to Jesus. No, you come to Jesus and he will make you worthy. He will change you from the inside out. You become a different person when you surrender your life completely to Jesus. Well, can I, my, my life is messed up and I've made all these bad decisions. You come to Christ. He will clean you up. He will take care of you. He will transform your life. You bank your soul upon him. But what we see here in the text is a man who has a really sinful life and Jesus pursues him and saves him. It reminds me of the great hymn writer, uh, Fanny Crosby. She was blind and she wrote hundreds of hymns that are just unbelievable. In one of her hymns, she wrote this, the vilest offender who truly believes 
that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Don't let a religious crowd try and talk you away from coming to Jesus. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. You are pardoned and forgiven when you come to Jesus and he will receive you. He is faithful. But here in verse five, we also see Jesus doing something that is absolutely shocking. Jesus, he's seeking Zacchaeus and then did you notice Jesus calls him by name. As Jesus is walking through the world's oldest city, he knows where Zacchaeus is in that tree. He knows his life and he calls him by name. He doesn't say, hey, tax collector. He doesn't say, hey, swindler. Hey, you con artist. Hey, you big cheater. He says, hey, Zacchaeus. Reminds me of Genesis chapter three when our federal head, our first father, Adam, had sinned in the garden and he's hiding behind a tree. And what does God do? He invites him, Adam, where are you? He's inviting him out from hiding. He's inviting him from his sin and his shame. He's like, come out here, I'm gonna heal you. And here's Jesus saying, Zacchaeus, come down here. He's calling him out of hiding. He's calling him out of sin and shame and calling him to himself. And may I say to you, when God looks at you, he does not call you by your sin. He calls you by your name. You see, the devil will call you by your sin. You are this. You are that. He will seek to define you as that, as if your sin defines who you are, because he is a liar. He is the father of lies. You can't believe a word that he says. This is why you must know truth of Scripture to fight back against his lies. You see, the devil will forget your name and call you by your sin. Jesus forgets your sin and calls you by your name. That's who Jesus is. He is faithful. And he knows everything about this man and he calls him by name. And may I say to you, Jesus knows your name and he cares so deeply for you. Let me say it like this, as we see it here in the text. Jesus sees you, Jesus knows you, Jesus calls you by your name. We see it there in the text. Jesus sees you. You don't have to put on a mask. You don't have to put on a front. You don't have to act like you've got it all together, like you're perfect or you're crushing it or everything is always up and to the right. You don't have to do it in front of Jesus. And in fact, by the way, you don't have to do it here at church either. We're not a bunch of people who are trying to impress each other. We're a bunch of broken people who are full of the grace of Jesus because he's changed us. So don't feel like you have to come here with a mask on, right? That's what grace does. Grace changes us. Grace liberates us from the bondage of trying to impress people, okay? We're not here to impress. We're here to make much of Jesus, but Jesus sees you. He knows everything you're going through. He's fully aware of your past, your present, your future. He's fully aware. He sees everything as if it's in the current right now. And Jesus knows you. Psalm 139, he knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows your words before you say them. He knows everything, your day of birth, your day of death. He knows everything in between. He knows all of it. And he still loves you. He still loves you. God still loves you even though you've turned your back on him, even though you've sinned against him, even though you've shaken your fist in his face, even though that you've pursued after other gods, he is faithful and unfailing in his love for you. And he continually calls his children away from sin and back to himself. He sees you, he knows you, and he calls you by name. He knows your name. 
In fact, I was rejoicing this week as I was thinking about this reality as Jesus is calling out Zacchaeus. He, he knows his name. I was thinking about the book of Revelation in which we see the Lamb's book of life where the names of those who have trusted in Jesus are written permanently. That you are known by Jesus, you are seen by Jesus, and he knows your name. Isaiah 43 verse 1 says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name. You are mine. You are so loved by Jesus that he sees you and he knows you and he calls you by name. That's what he's doing here with Zacchaeus. He is calling him out of hiding, calling him out of the tree and calling him to himself. Zacchaeus hears Jesus call his name and did you see his response? Look at verse six. He quickly came down. It's almost like he jumped out of the tree. He brushed off his Armani suit and his Air Jordans, right? He's getting cleaned up and he, he comes to Jesus. And as he comes to Jesus, the text says that he welcomed him joyfully. But as he comes to Jesus and they start heading towards his house, he starts hearing a, a grumbling. There begins this crowd that knows he's unworthy of Jesus. Jesus, why are you going to Zacchaeus' house? Do you not know who he is? Do you not know how many people he's hurt? It's like, Jesus, do you realize what you're doing here? And isn't it interesting? The text doesn't show us that Jesus says anything here. He doesn't say anything about Zacchaeus' life. He doesn't talk about Zacchaeus' greed. Jesus didn't say a word about his stealing or skimming extra money off the top as a thief. In fact, the mere presence of Jesus, we see it right there in verse 8. Conviction of sin, rapid repentance, radical obedience. It's all right there. Conviction of sin, rapid repentance, radical obedience. You see, you see it right there. Look at verse, uh, verse eight. Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I've extorted anything from anybody, I'll pay it back four times as much. You see, Zacchaeus sinned big, but he also repents big. Right? So repentance that's genuine and matches the depth of the sin all right, you, you sin big, man, you repent big. Here he's like, oh, Lord, I have messed up. I have stolen. I have, I have conned people out of money. And I'm, I'm sorry. So I'm gonna give my stuff away now. I'm tired of being greedy and selfish and prideful and keeping all these things, being stingy. Lord, I'm now gonna become open-handed. I'm gonna be generous with what you have entrusted to me. And here we see Jesus here is coming to his house and says, I'm going to come and I'm going to eat with you. Maybe you're here today and like, oh my goodness, there's so much sin in my life. There's so many people I've hurt and I just need grace. See, repentance is God's kindness towards us that we get to run to Jesus and we receive grace. We just sang about it, the mercy of God in Christ. We sing it because the gospel transforms your heart. The gospel changes you from being one person to becoming another person. To say it like this, generosity is a fruit of a heart that's been changed by Jesus. You see, when Jesus is your king, money is no longer your God. When Jesus is your king, you don't cheat people out of money. 
but rather you bless people with your money. When Jesus is your king, you become a giver, not a taker. When Jesus is your king, you go from being stingy to being generous. When Jesus is your king, you're set free from greed, from idolatry, and from pride. In fact, you can contrast Luke 19, where if you you backpedal into Luke 18, you see Jesus has another confrontation with another rich man, this rich young ruler. And in this confrontation, Jesus addresses his, his wealth. And the text says that he goes away sad. He leaves Jesus. Why? Because he's holding on to his money. He wants money more than Jesus. Jesus says it like this, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's hard for wealthy people to go to heaven, but not impossible. Because we see here in Luke 19, Jesus has another conversation with a wealthy man, a man who's really rich, the text tells us. And yet what he comes to the conclusion is he is now gonna take his wealth, he's open-handed now. He's posturing his heart saying, Jesus, I want you more than I want my money. You see, you can be wealthy and be a follower of Jesus. The question is, how do you view your money? You see, we're gonna see this next week in 1 Timothy 6, that man, you, you can't take it with you. We're gonna unpack that more next week. But this idea of being wealthy is one in which you're posturing your, your hands open, saying, God, you can have my wealth. You can have the money. You can have my, all my stuff. I, I'm, I'm posturing it open-handed. Why? Because Jesus, you're better. Jesus, you're greater. Jesus, you're Lord over my life, not my money. Because Jesus says, you cannot love God and money. You gotta pick. You have to choose. Can't be both. And what we see here is a man who has felt the weight and the emptiness of wealth, the, the, the sense of being by himself, neglected, but because he's loved his money so much and now he realizes, I need Jesus. And Jesus, you're far better. So we see verse eight. He postures his hands open and surrenders it completely to the Lord. This is what's happening in this man's life. And because of that, he is now a follower of Jesus. That's what he says in verse nine. He says, you are a son of Abraham. And it's not because he was Jewish. It's because he put his faith in the true and greater Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, here Zacchaeus believed God who is standing in front of him right now in this moment. What's amazing here? Crotchety old Mr. Potter gets saved. Scrooge McDuck gets saved. And we see transformation. A guy who goes from being greedy and hoarding his stuff to being, Lord, I give it back to you. I'm posturing my heart open. He's taking a, a white-knuckled grip that he's had on his money and he's letting it go. And he's surrendering his, his money, his stuff, his life ultimately to the Lord. Well, as you and I consider our lives right here in this moment, oh, that you and I would model Zacchaeus realizing that we're broken and sinful in need of grace. We encounter Jesus and from that point on, everything changes. We go from being greedy to being generous. We go from being stingy to being open-handed with our lives. And this is the impact point what I'm calling all our church to this week. It's this, would you join Jesus in his mission of seeking and saving the lost through generosity. 
That's what Jesus is driving home here in, in verse 10, that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And when you're found in Christ, you become open-handed. He changes your hearts. He changes your life. Everything changes, and the gospel begins to take, take, role, take hold of your heart. And here's what I've found, is that generosity begets generosity, right? Uh, the more you're generous, the more you want to be generous, and this is not health and wealth stuff. It's that when you're generous with your resources, God will provide more for you to be generous with. It's like there is a conduit through which I can be a blessing to the nations and to the neighbors and to reach people of the kingdom. And so God will pour out more and more for the sake of his name. Oh, that we would be a people who become so generous with our giving. And I can I say to you this? It's that when you're generous, it gets really fun. Generosity is fun. I found it interesting is that people who are Tightwads, people who hold fast to their money, they're not happy. They're not content. The, 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 the person who owns an island isn't happy because he wants another island. The person who has a million dollars isn't happy because he wants two million dollars. It's a continuous pursuit after a vapor of nothing. There is no final destination there. And so they pursue and pursue and pursue. They cling tighter and tighter and tighter and they become more and more miserable. The gospel sets us free from that. The gospel calls us away from that into a radical generosity where we open up our hands. Why? Because that's what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. That God gave us his best, his one and only son, and he lavishes his grace upon us. So how the overflow of that, it leads to generosity. So as we think about our brief temporary lives, it all comes down to this. Has Jesus changed your heart? Because when Jesus changes your heart, just like he did with Zacchaeus, that is when your hands go from being closed to being opened and saying, God, you can have all of my heart. You can have all of my life, all of my money, all of my stuff. It's yours. And God will use that kind of heart for the glory of his son and for the good of his people.